0: Well, good morning. I apologize for a little bit of uh, inconsistency posting over the last little bit here. Just uh, we've had a few kind of important things going on here that have required some additional time and attention. And I, I like to make sure that if I'm going to post, I'm a little more prepared. I'm not, uh, and I uh, don't want to post just to post. I want to make sure that, uh, you know, they approach this, you know, with the time it deserves. And so anyway, that being said, apologize that there's been a little bit of uh, inconsistency in that. But that being said, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. And um, I'm going to go ahead and answer a question here from Caden. And uh, hello again, Brian. I hope you're doing well. I had another question I was hoping you might be able to answer. It's about what Jesus says at the end of Luke 21. Watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. This is from Luke 21, verse 36. Uh, He goes on, I was wondering why Jesus would tell us to pray uh, that we would be counted worthy to escape if our escape is in Him. Uh, is he warning believers to pray this because you may not be counted worthy? Or is this directed at an unbelief, uh, an unbelieving reader? It's just something I've been curious about for some time. I do pray that I would be counted worthy regularly, but I'm not sure that I actually understand what it is that I'm praying. Do you know what I mean? I do, actually. And, uh, and uh, grace to you and peace as well. So. Um, Oh, this is a good passage to look at, and it's a really, really good question. Uh, Luke 21, just by way of interest, is uh, a, a companion or parallel passage with Mark 13 and Matthew 24. This is what's known as the Olivet Discourse. This is where Jesus speaks to um, the ideas uh, surrounding the last days, both in regard to the immediate question asked about the destruction of the temple that the disciples were If if you remember, they're walking through the temple area and they're enamored by the temple and everything. And Jesus tells them that there's a day coming when not stone will be left upon another. And so they ask him, Well, when will these things be and will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age, as we read in Matthew 24? Well, Luke 21 covers the same ground. And so, although I would say that Luke 21 also includes this fascinating additional element uh, that the other two don't include. Um, and that is um, the destruction of Jerusalem, starting in verse twenty, where Jesus talks about what will happen in seventy A.D. Um, under Titus Vespasian, uh, when he comes with the Roman legions and they destroy the city and the sanctuary and everything. And so this um, um, this uh, this additional information in, in the Gospel of Luke is fascinating and interesting, and it's a, it's a wonderful thing to. Um, to study in its own right. And so, but that being said, I'm going to go ahead and focus more directly on uh, the question at hand here. The idea where Jesus, again, toward the end of that sermon, at the end of that sermon, uh, tells them to take heed to themselves, lest their hearts be weighed down with carousing drunkenness and cares of this life, and that the day come upon you unexpectedly, for it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man." Now, there are a couple of different approaches to answering that question that people have taken. One is that uh, some hold that Jesus is just talking more specifically about the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. Make sure that you're not caught off guard by this and all this kind of thing. However, I, I don't think that's the case. I don't think Jesus is just keying in on that particular event. I think he is talking about really the end of the age and when people will stand before the Son of Man. Make sure you're ready for that day, and make sure you're counted worthy. Um, so that that can be understandably a troubling passage, if we um, if we if we uh, um, maybe sometimes wonder. It's like, okay, is it possible that I'll. I'll miss the rapture, or maybe I'll even stand before God and he won't count me worthy. And and Caden's absolutely right. Our escape is in him, not just in terms of like the rapture and that, but even setting aside the ideas of the rapture, our standing before God, our escape from judgment, uh, which I'm pretty sure is what, what Caden is alluding to, is is absolutely in him. Uh, we, since we are dead in sin, it is only through Christ that ultimately we are set free from the the bondage of sin, the penalty of sin, all these things. And so there is, therefore, because it's entirely on his shoulders, there is no sort of, uh, if I can speak to the uh, what Caden was saying here, there's no really counted worthy regularly. It's like you're either worthy in Christ or you're not in Christ. And so um so as far as when you stand before the son of man remember Jesus said all judgment has been committed to the son and such and so when you stand before him one day will you stand judged or will you not be stand judged well will you not will you not stand judged uh but the 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 answer to that question is really not a complicated one for a believer you will not stand judged instead what you'll do is you'll enter into the presence of God uh there is this this point at which There is this testing by fire, those works that, um, you know, that we've done, whether they were done in Christ, as Paul talks to the Corinthians about, but are, but we, as he says in that passage, we stand though, even though if we did things with the wrong motivation or, or something like that, those things don't endure that, that proving, that testing. But you and I as believers who are saved by God's grace that we receive through faith, uh, we don't stand in danger or peril of judgment. That's done. As a matter of fact, that's one of the key elements as to why the rapture is a necessary element, um, is that those who are born again in Christ up to that point in the church age, uh, will escape the wrath of God upon the earth. Why? Because Christ took our wrath for us. And so therefore, the, the, the rapture is not just sort of a, a peripheral uh, thing within the church, I th- I th- within uh, Christian doctrine, I think it's an important one. It's not a salvation issue if you have a different view on that, but I don't think it's really a, a small thing. And so anyway, that's, uh, you know, quoting from um, um, uh, First Thessalonians, uh, both in chapter 4 and chapter 5, uh, Paul mentions how we're not appointed to wrath, or chapter 1 and chapter 5, we're not appointed to wrath. It's one eleven 11, and, and uh, 5, 9. So anyway, but to the point at hand here regarding why then does Jesus tell believers to take heed to themselves and, and watch therefore and pray that they may be counted worthy to escape these things? Well, um, I think I think the immediate context of the audience to whom Jesus is speaking is fundamentally important in understanding. Not just this question, by the way, but understanding the entirety of the Olivet Discourse. Now, there are Bible teachers who hold different views on what I'm about to say. Um, uh, and here's what I'm about to say. I'll just say it. I don't think that Luke 21, Mark 13, Matthew 24— I don't think, I don't think this discourse, this teaching, this passage, has anything to do with the church at all. Uh, you will sometimes hear quoted, "Well, no one knows the day or the hour," and and that's often ascribed to the idea of the rapture. Well, that's found toward the end of Matthew twenty-four. Um, he's not talking about the rapture there. The rapture was not in view at all anywhere in his discourse. One, uh, two people, one in the two in the field, one left, one uh, one taken, one left. That's not talking about the rapture. That's talking about those who are taken in judgment and those who ultimately will enter the millennial kingdom. Uh, that is the view that I espouse in, in understanding those passages. And the reason I espouse that is really twofold. Number one, because it's important that we recognize the distinctions made between Israel, the Jews, and the church. The church is not around at the point where Jesus is talking about those things. And so, therefore, to insert the church into that, even though those believers who are Jewish right then, they're not Christians at that point, that, that concept and understanding and even the label doesn't come until after uh, the resurrection. At this point, when Jesus is talking, he's talking primarily about the kingdom. Uh, And that kind of thing. Sometimes he talks about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, uh, and there's debate about the distinctions between those terms and that kind of thing. But I would simply suggest that it's important to understand that there is a distinction between Israel and the church. A great resource on this, by the way, is virtually anything that Arnold Fruchtenbaum writes on this, um, and there are others as well. But that's a great one, um, uh, or that's uh, he's great on this subject of, um, and such. But, but I would say that that's an important distinction to make. So, when Jesus is giving this discourse, it's important to recognize that this deals with Israel, and there's plenty of internal evidence in the sermon itself. Uh, that bears that out. Uh, the idea of praying that your fleeing may not be on the Sabbath. Well, Gentiles don't care about the Sabbath. Uh, Jews care about the Sabbath. The idea of the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. Again, not that anybody couldn't know about that, but that is something that is particularly mentioned because it falls within the auspices of a prophecy that deals with Daniel's people in the holy city in, in Daniel chapter nine, and so, uh, and also later on in Daniel as well, it's mentioned. So. Uh, So to make that distinction is fundamental to our understanding of that passage on the whole, but it also then therefore lends itself to our understanding of this passage. Is Jesus talking to us, like you and I today, post-resurrection, the church? No, he's not. He's talking to those who are Israel. And that helps us make much more sense of what's going on as Jesus says that in wrapping up this sermon about the last days. Now, whatever rapture view you hold other than a post-trib rapture and or an amillennial position, if you hold a a pre-trib rapture as I do, or you hold a pre-wrath or mid-trib or any of those, um, any, any of these views, then the church is gone by the time we get to uh, much of, if not all of, in my view, in the pre-trib view, all of the wrath of God. Um, now, I probably just ticked off a few pre rathers and mid-tribbers because the idea of like, well, when does the wrath of God really start? I would argue it starts at the beginning by the breaking of the first seal in Revelation 6. pre Pre-rath would hold a different position. Mid-trib would, would have some different ideas on this as well. Um, so so that being said, but if in fact uh, we do escape the wrath of God, as Paul seems to indicate in, in again, 1 Thessalonians, Um, then then the church is not even here during the period of time that Jesus is talking about, that period of time being, once again, Daniel's 70th week, that last seven-year period of time known as the tribulation period, including, of course, the great tribulation from the halfway point of that seven years toward the end. So the wrath of God coming down on the earth takes place, and it is a time that is focused on Daniel's holy uh, people and, and the holy city. Um, which makes perfect sense if we understand the difference and distinction between Israel and the church. Um, the church is not Israel, and Israel is not the church, okay? Um, yes, there are times in when Paul's writings where he speaks about how those who are Israel are Israel spiritually and not just physically, but that doesn't blur the distinction between God's purposes with national ethnic Israel and the idea of our being grafted into the vine. There is still eschatological differences between these two entities, uh, and so it's important that we understand that. So, my in in kind of uh, summarizing the idea here, Jesus is not talking to you and I today; he's talking to those Jews then. Essentially, then speaking to those Jews who are around at that time in the last days. Now, of course, when we read Revelation, uh, we we understand that there is, um, uh, or or even Zechariah thirteen, when it comes up on the millennium, there is a remnant. Of Israel that enters into the millennium that makes it through the tribulation and great tribulation period. You'll remember in Revelation 12 where, the, where, where Satan, uh, through, uh, you know, the dragon, I just more specifically, um, drives the woman, Israel, into the wilderness and, and seeks to chase her down in that. But God protects her for that last half period of time of this, of that 70th week. And so, so there is, and then at the end of that, when Christ returns, they look upon him whom they've pierced, those Jews that are alive during that time, uh, those Jews that have come to faith, or even anyone who has come to faith in that period of time, will enter into the millennial period. Um, but but that's a whole period of time leading up to that, that the church really does not have any part in. Uh, even if you take a mid-trib or pre-trib or pre-wrath uh, view by the point that Jesus gets to the end of the sermon where the wrath of God is coming down, in general, the view is that even if you believe in a later rapture perspective, we're out of here when God's wrath is being poured out. And so um so so I guess the the I, w- I would answer, I would just end by saying this. First off, that distinction matters, understanding the audience that Jesus is speaking to. Uh, matters in our understanding of the passages on the whole and in this question in particular Uh, secondly you should take great comfort in knowing that because that's the case and that jesus is not in fact speaking to christians later he's talking to jews both then but also later um, that 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 allows us then to understand, like, for example, Paul's teaching on justification, imputation, uh, being saved by grace, No, nothing separates us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. We can rest in these passages knowing that the question of worthiness is answered at the cross. Um, so therefore, those who would take heed, as Jesus said, in the last days, worthy would mean the same thing for them. They need to be They want to come to Christ before all those things ever happen uh, and be saved out of that kind of thing. Now, they don't know the rapture is coming. They don't know anything about that at this point. But nonetheless, the call to be counted worthy is the same thing, putting your trust in the Messiah, the Savior, that you might be made worthy. It's not a matter of you trying to be worthy, but rather instead setting aside those things that you were and becoming new in Christ. So, and again, this this is where the gospel finds its way into these discussions. So uh, that being said, um, there you go. Uh, hopefully that helps to clear some of that up. Um, if not, please, uh, you know, feel free to to ask uh, uh, questions or to raise points and that kind of thing. Again, the, the, the idea that Jesus is not speaking to the church in that passage, or again, Matthew uh, 24, Mark 13, um, is one that is debated among Bible teachers and prophecy people and that kind of thing. Uh, however, I do think a very, very, very strong case can be made that Jesus does not have the church... I mean, he's as God. He's got the church in mind, but he does not have it in mind and in focus uh, in this discussion that he's sharing here in, in his discourse. And so, I think that helps to clear up what's really in view there and who's in view there uh, and who's not in view there. So, for what it's uh, what it's worth, I hope that helps a little bit. So, thanks for asking the question, Caden. I always appreciate hearing from you, and certainly from anybody who shares and asks questions. And and uh, and certainly, I, I appreciate the encouragements too. Thank you for all the kind words. Uh, that's always uh, very sweet and very nice of you, and I appreciate that. But uh, if you have any questions, thoughts, anything like that, feel free to share them in our comment section on our YouTube channel, or if you want to email me at info at CalvaryChapelFranklin.com, you can do that as well. I would highly recommend using that email. Every now and again, I'll check one of the previous ones that I used to use, um, and I'll find an email that's been there for a month. And I just because I, I really don't use those anymore. I, I, I have them for various purposes, but I don't. Uh, like for example, there um, uh, I use a thing called Tutanota, which is like a Proton Mail, but another company, and it's just a privacy-based kind of thing. I hang on to that account in case one day uh, we need to have those kinds of things. A little, uh, uh, I think it's important to have it anyway, but one day it might become particularly necessary, so I hang on to it. But I don't really use it practically on a daily basis, so I would strongly recommend using info at com. So um, again, as always, thanks for watching, thanks for listening, and and until we uh, post again, may the Lord bless you and keep you, make His face shine upon you, and be gracious to you and give you peace forever. And Father, we thank you that our peace, our worthiness, our justification, all these things are in Christ and in Christ alone. Thank you that He paid our penalty, He paid our debt, and He set us free. We thank you that we are now reconciled with you because of what he has accomplished for us. He is our propitiation. He satisfies the righteous wrath that you have against us in our sin and ultimately stood in our stead and took it upon himself. How glorious and gracious he is and you are, and we thank you for this. So, Father, we just pray that you continue to help us to grow as students of the Word, uh, thank you for this question and, and, uh, and just the, the opportunity for us to look at it together and consider it. And we thank you for the security that we have in Christ. And we do pray in advance for those who will uh, come to you and, and ultimately receive Jesus to be saved um, in the days to come. And of course, even those who after the rapture of the church will come to Christ during the time of tribulation, Father, how difficult it will be for them, but we pray for them in advance, knowing that they too are our brothers and sisters, uh, and one day we'll see them in eternity. So thank you, Father, for your glorious plan and purposes, and we so look forward to seeing you bring them to fruition. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.